Have you ever been looking for something and you couldn't find it? Now, depending on how important that thing is, you may or may not look for it. So like right now, I need something to put, oh, see, I was, I was going to come get it. I was going to look for it. It was going to be an illustration. See how nice he is? Look at how nice he is. Oh, you, oh, oh. Well, okay. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it kind of sinks under the weight. You got to, <laughs> it's like me on a trampoline or something. Okay. Um, well, that ruined that object lesson. <clears throat> That'll lead into a different segue. So Pastor Dan really is a nice guy. I know I've said this many times, but in seminary, I was kind of a rude guy. That's hard to, to believe, isn't it? And uh, so one day we were sitting next to each other in class, and you know, he's sitting like this in his chair. And uh, so I just reach over, and I grab his shoelace, and I pull it up. And Pastor Dan... And he doesn't move. <laughs> he keeps listening to God's word, unlike me, the prankster. And I sat there and he's like, he's not tying his shoe. He's not tying his shoe. Is he going to tie his shoe? I mean, my whole prank is the fact that he has to tie his shoe. He didn't tie his shoe. He didn't tie his shoe for 31 minutes. I finally reached <laughs> over and tied his shoe because it bothered me. <laughs> so how do you get someone like me back? <laughs> Don't give in to the prank. <clears throat> See, even when he gets me back, he's taking the high road. Okay. Proverbs chapter 2. Have you ever lost something and looked for it? I mean, I've dropped a quarter before. You know, you're at Starbucks or McDonald's or wherever you go to get food or caffeine, and you reach out the drive-thru to hand them your change, and you drop some coins. Oops. It's a penny, and they're like, oh, we got an extra penny, you know, no one cares. But if you dropped your credit card, you wouldn't be like, eh, I'll get another one. <laughs> you know, oh, hold on, and you'd be like leaning over, trying to like do the reach thing, and then you got to pull over and back out and reach down and grab, and this lady's apologizing, or this guy's apologizing. And so the object that you lose, if it's really worth something, you're going to try to find it. So I'm a nerd. My wife reminds me of this. Uh, lovingly, only when I talk about nerdy things like fountain pens, which, by the way, are awesome. But I really like technology. I'm like a gadget guy, and I'm, I'm not kidding. If any of you really don't like a computer mouse that doesn't work, I, it's something that just bothers my soul. Like when Dan doesn't tie, like, tie, doesn't tie his shoe after I prank him. So I use a mouse a lot, and I found this one mouse. Really awesome. Logitech anywhere mouse or whatever, you can put it on a piece of glass and it will know where you're going. You don't have to have like a mouse pad and it's small and you can transport it places. It's like the, it's a couple years old now, but at the time it was awesome, but it's also like $90. Well, I found it on sale and I needed one for work. And anyway, I was able to get like a really good deal and I got this awesome mouse. It's like my joy. Okay, well, it may be my precious mouse. My precious, okay. <clears throat> so one day, I opened my bag to work, and I can't find my mouse. Now, at the time, we'd been going to the hospital regularly for some checkups and treatments, 
and I was also teaching at school, and I was also going to coffee shops on occasion, and so, man, I'd try to think, where in the world did I leave this mouse? And I thought I had it in the classroom, so I drive all the way back to class, or classroom, like to the campus from the hospital, and I'm looking at all the rooms I teach in, and I'm looking everywhere where I think it is, and I think I use it in this one class, and I can't find it. Oh, man, I call tech services. They don't have it. Oh, maybe I, so I'm, I'm all over Methodist. I'm up here. I'm over there. Wherever I could have sat, wherever it could have fallen out of my bag, I've spent hours trying to find this mouse. I never found it. So then I had to go back to the junky mice. Ah, oh, man, it was so bad. So have you ever tried to find something and you can't find it, and no matter what you try, you just can't do it? Now, here's the end of the story. This is not germane to what we're going to talk about. But I'm in tech services one full year later, and I notice one of the guys has a mouse of this model, and I'd say, that's a really good mouse. They're like, oh, yeah? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can try. I'm doing a whole sales pitch. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't really know where that came from. <laughs> Are you serious? I don't know. It was just here. It's been here for quite a while. <gasps> Hold on. I bring my laptop over. That's, I still have the connector part, you know, and I put it in and I start moving it. It's my mouse. I found my lost mouse. Okay. Sorry. It's like you'd think it was a lost sheep or something. <laughs> Maybe I not rejoice over it that much. Okay, but there's an illustration there. If you've lost something really important to you and you want to find it, if someone could say, look, here's how to find it, you'd listen up, right? If you, nowadays, cell phones usually have tracking devices in them, which usually other countries use, but you can use it too. <laughs> and so on mine, I... <laughs> Ooh... Ooh. <laughs> you can turn on this little thing where if you lose your phone, you can go to your wife's phone and be like, can you turn on the ding noise? And it will boop, 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 you know, like a little sonar ding in your house. It's wonderful. But if you don't know that, you're tearing your house apart. It looks like a robber came in and a band of ruffians and Solomon says, don't go with those people, you know? <laughs> so today, we've been talking about wisdom all week. Have you ever tried to find wisdom? Have you ever wanted to know the Lord? I remember a time in my life where I didn't think my walk with God was right, but I didn't really know what to do. I remember going out to Camp Dodge, which is down in Johnston, Iowa, and there's these tanks. They have welded shut that you can climb on. And so I went down there, and I just opened my Bible. God, we're going to sort my life out. It was like Lamentations or something. I don't know what Jeremiah's talking. I didn't even know it was Jeremiah talking. It didn't really work. I didn't know what to do to find wisdom. I happened upon chapter 2 of Proverbs, and it was so helpful. So do you want to pursue God? Do you want to pursue wisdom? If you do, this is the passage for you. Sometimes you try to do something, and no matter how many times you do it, it doesn't work. And someone is like, hey, you're doing it wrong. You're like, ah, I almost got it. And you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and you, know, you don't change how you do it. And it, the, res, the result doesn't change until you listen to someone who says, no, no, this is how you do that. Oh, and then suddenly it's working great. So I played t-ball and then baseball. And if you're going to, you want to hit a home run, what's the one thing you shouldn't do if you want to hit a home run? Swing as hard as you can. <laughs> if you swing as hard as you can, you're probably going to pull or look or miss, and you're not going to hit well. You just want to swing nice and easy and watch the ball. It's not how hard you hit it. It's the time you hit the ball that makes it go really, really far. Well, you try telling that to a bunch of 10-year-olds playing baseball, and they're like, uh, no. You know, you know, it's like they got an ax in their hand, and they're going, okay. So today, 
I want us to ask this question. So ask this question in your mind. Do you want to know how to pursue God's wisdom? Now think, before we go through this, think about how you have been pursuing God's wisdom. There's a couple of possible answers that might come to your head. Number one, you might, this might dawn on you right now. Wait a second. I, I don't think I actually do pursue God's wisdom. That's a perfectly legitimate, there are times where I have not realized I'm not doing anything about something. And someone asks me a question, well, how are you doing this? Oh, I'm not. That might be you today. That's okay. This is the grace of God. This is how his word works. And so maybe today the whole point that you need to learn is that you need to pursue God. You need to pursue his wisdom. Or it could be that, man, you read your Bible and you pray and something's not clicking. Or you listen to these sermons or you go to these places or, I don't know, you pray a lot. Whatever it is, and it's, something's not clicking. And today, Solomon is going to teach his son what it looks like to pursue wisdom. He's going to use eight different verbs, and so we're just going to talk about each one of them, and we're going to draw some applicational truths. So let me go ahead. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read the text. We're only covering the first five verses, but I'll just, I'll just say this. After the first five, it's like the first sip of a really good cup of coffee. You don't want to stop. You want to finish it. Now, if you don't like coffee... It's the first sip of a Mountain Dew. You like Mountain Dew? Whatever it is that you like, you don't want just one sip. You want to be satiated. So we're going to do the first five verses, but later today or later this week, you should read the rest because it tells you who the source of wisdom is. It tells you what wisdom does for you, the benefits of it. It tells you what happens if you don't listen to it. It's great, but we're just going to do the first five. So let's pray. We're going to dive right in. Father, we love you. Thank you for today, Father. Thank you that we have yet another day to gather, to meet, to devote ourselves to the study of your doctrine, your teaching, your word, the truth, God, actual eternal truth that will never change. You've spoken it. You've inspired it to be written by your servant Solomon. It is truth forever. It will never change. It will never get updated it will never be reinterpreted to mean something else. It will always be your truth. I pray, Father, that today, in these next moments, we would mentally devote our energies to understanding this truth. Father, if we do, it will shape how we think. It will shape what we set our minds on. It will shape how we live and how we approach our walk with you. Father, I pray that you'd bless this time. In your son's name we pray, amen. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, side note, my son is a repeated phrase. And anytime you're studying the Bible and something gets repeated, pay attention. That's usually something that's very, very important. So the other day when Pastor Wood was saying, look for the words that are repeated, my heart leapt a little inside. And then he said, look for the comparisons and the contrast. And I got really excited. And then he started talking about connector words. I just couldn't handle it. That is all the real, that's what you're supposed to do when you study the Bible. You got to look at the language. I always thought, hey, come to the Bible and I'm looking for some emotional bump or something. But you don't get it by looking for that. You get it by looking at the truth, looking at the words because the words mean something. This is a quick little snippet. God designed you to communicate with other people, right? And how do you do that? Various ways, mostly through speaking and listening. But sometimes, 
uh, you can change the tone. So I could say, hey, it's really good to see you today. And you're, you're thinking, what are you going to sell me, right? <laughs> or I could say, hey, it's really good to see you today. <laughs> you're not thinking I'm selling you anything, right? You're thinking I'm talking to like Dr. Little or something. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I meant, well, never mind. I'm not going to pick on anyone else. Now, I said the same words, right? <clears throat> but in their context, the tone had a little bit of a, a meaning to it. Now, it's hard to get tone in the Bible, but you can get it. When Jesus uh, talks to the Pharisees, and he's like, you brood of snakes. <laughs> you, you speak father, you speak the lies of your father, Satan. You know, he's not probably talking like that, okay? It was probably a little more forceful. And so, you, you can pick those things up, but you get it by looking at the text, you look at the words, and I never knew this. That day when I went out to the tanks, I'm like looking for this emotional feeling. I'm just reading anything to see if I get this feeling of connection with God. That's not how it works. You don't do that. And so the way to pursue this is according to the words that are inspired. Okay, I digress, sorry. My son, so that's repeated. Why am I talking about this? Solomon's talking to his son. He's constantly calling his son, hey, listen. Now, it's probably to all the sons in Israel. It's, it's probably to all of them. It's, it's for the next generation. But it's for anyone who wants wisdom. Side note, this book is primarily written to the guys in Israel, but there is also a book written to the girls. And so that's at the end of the section, Song of Solomon. You got Job and you got Song of Solomon. And there's messages there to, hey, you be careful. Hey, don't start these things until it's time. And so there's a message that goes to the different, you know, the guys and the girls, and yet at the same time, both apply to each. If you want to be wise, you look here. If you want to know how to handle a relationship, you, both of you look here. So my son, so he's, he's pulling that back. You'll see that all through chapters 1 through 9. My son, if you receive my words, receive, there's your verb idea, and if you treasure up, there's your second verb there, my commandments within you, making your ear attentive, okay, that's like a verbal idea of changing your ear somehow, that's weird, to wisdom, and inclining, okay, what does it mean to incline your heart to understanding? Yes, if you call out for insight, that's your calling out, you're calling for something. If you raise your voice, there's another verbal idea for understanding. If you seek, you're looking for something, like when I was looking for that mouse, you seek it like silver, and you search, similar idea, for it as hidden treasure, then, and here's like the, the result, those are the causes, this is the effect, those are the exhortations, this is the result, if you obey that, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. Do you want to know God? If you want to know God and you've been pursuing knowing him, but your pursuit of him hasn't looked like this passage, it's not going to surprise me if you say something like, yeah, I try to pursue God, but I feel like I don't even really know him. And those of you who could look back in a time where you didn't really know God well, and then you really changed, and I'll, we won't say what you changed, because I think I know what it is, and now you feel like you've really started to walk with God my suspicion is you're going to see the changes you made right here in this passage. Because this is how God telling you how to do something. Yesterday, Pastor Wood walked us through the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I remember going through that the first time, like five years ago, prepping for it to teach it. And I remember thinking, if I want to know how to pray, how should I learn to pray looking at the Bible? 
oh, wait, I wonder if Jesus, like, didn't Jesus tell his disciples how to do that? And man, it revolutionized my prayer life. So please heed what he said. A-E-I-O-U, that's really important stuff. It's not just for Catholics flipping the rosary bead, okay? It's not a thing you do. It's a pattern of how you interact with God, how you speak to him. All right, how do you seek him? Here we go. The first, I'm going to break these eight verbs up into four commands that we need to follow or four instructions or four plans or four imperatives. What do you want to say? The first thing you need to do is you need to store up wisdom. Store up wisdom. So the first verb there is to receive it. He says, my son, if you receive my words, I think of receiving like a gift, If I hold my hand out and I say, hey, here's a free donut. Number one, if I say that today, take the donut. Because later tonight, if I offer you a donut, you're going to want to eat that thing. Donut night is so good. I can't not say that. But if I hold my hand out, I'm like, here you go. You can have a donut. And you're like, no, I'll get my own. That's okay. You might prefer a different donut. But here, if Solomon says, I have the wisdom of the Lord, receive it. And his son says, no, thank you. I'll find it on my own. What kind of an attitude does that show about that son? Let me ask you this. Does that seem like an attitude of humility and teachability? Or does that seem like more of an independent type of attitude, whether it's rebellious, angry, or I'm just going to do it on my own? Here, I think Solomon's pointing out an attitude his son needs to have when you approach the Lord. You have to be ready to receive commandments from God, receive the words of God. You might think you know something, but if when you come to the Word of God, you see something it says, you're like, no, it can't be that. It obviously can't be that. What does it really mean? It's okay to distinguish things. You'll never really understand God's Word. So here's my example from my own life. I grew up, public school, secular, all that. I mean, I was Christian, but I I didn't have like, I I went to church, but it wasn't like I was giving a lot of energy to my walk with God. And so I thought self-esteem was my most important thing I needed. I thought all my depression, all of my frustrations in life, all my problems because I didn't have enough self-esteem. And then when I didn't know what to do in life, I thought the best piece of advice I'd ever heard was to follow my heart. And we hear that commonly, right? Basically, the entire Disney penelope of all their movies is just one argument to you should follow your heart, right? And so I remember going to Bible college and being in a class called Personal Evangelism, and we had to memorize this verse in Jeremiah. Chapter 17, verse 9. Can anyone quote that? And anyone want to yell it out? Go ahead. Yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things. I think it even says, and desperately sick. Who can know it? So the the prof writes on the board, the heart is deceitfully wicked and above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? And I'm not kidding. My first thought was, that's not right. (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't get hit with lightning. But I'm sitting here as a freshman, totally ignorant. That's not right. And my next thought was, but that's the Bible. And I didn't know what to do. And it started to dawn on me that semester, wait a second. The Bible seems to think the heart's not a good thing. Like it's bad and something's wrong about it. And then you look, and man, that is the source of your problems. The other problem is that heart in the Bible doesn't only mean emotions like Disney. It's not all your feely feels. It's actually your mind. It's your will, it's your desire. It's basically all of you that's not physical and you can't touch. Your inner person, all, that's the source of your sin in your life. It's not what other people do to you. 
It's not how bad your life has been. It's not how much you've been mistreated. It's not how fortunate you've been. It's not any of those things. It's your heart. That's why some people can have total misfortune fall upon them, and yet they behave in a way that reflects God's character. And other people can have every advantage and be total scum of the earth. Okay, that's really overstated, but you know what I mean. Like, you meet those people. Now, I was at a crossroads. Will I listen to this book, or will I say, no, it must not mean that. It can't mean that. It took me a while to understand that. Oh, I think that's actually what it's saying. What's the attitude of your heart when you need to sort out a situation in life? Man, there's an issue and you don't know how to deal with it. Do you go to the Word? Do you go to your pastor? Or do you go where you think you know the right answer? Now, if you're, if you're new at this, this is very hard to do by yourself. You need, the church is designed to be the place, a family where you go to and you seek wise counsel. There are believers who God has put in your life who have understood this, studied it for a long time, started right where you did, but through learning from wise and godly counsel have been able to understand this book and you might need to find someone like that. Books are good Usually wise Christian people are better because a book can tell you a lot of good stuff and you should read all of them that you can. But a person can actually get to the heart of the matter. The intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a wise person will draw them out. That's a proverb in this book. I don't know the reference, I'm sorry, and I should. I teach the class at Faith. Don't tell my students. So you need to recede. You need to have an attitude of humility. What's your attitude today before the Lord? Next, it says you need to treasure it, I'm going to say. But I'm going to say store it up. Okay, store it up. I remember wanting to know the Lord and thinking, i gotta, I got to treasure the Bible. And so then I had this like holy reverence for it, which is okay. It's God's word. It's, this is what God says, right? So I should be very, very reverent of what this says. I have a friend who I took my Bible once and like set it down like that. I didn't think any, I'm sorry if that offended you. I'm not trying to mistreat God's word. He gently lit me up. In some, I mean, I'm the Sunday school teacher. He's, he's my co-teacher. And he's like, don't do that. This is the word of God. And he was getting on me about that. And I appreciated that. And, okay, it's good. We should respect our physical copies of God's word. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's bad. And so when I would read this verse, oh, yeah, I need to treasure it. I need to exalt it. That's good. Treasure. What do you do with treasure? If you're a pirate, what do you do with treasure? What's that? You hoard it. That's right. You get as much of it as you can. If you are an investment banker, what do you do with the money you get from your investments? You, what's that? You hoard it, yeah. You reinvest it and you try to make more. You, you don't go out on a spending spree. The word here is actually not talking about value. It's, and I mean, you should. You value treasure, right? But it's actually saying, my son, you need to store up my commands. You need to listen and hold on to them for when you need them, which implies maybe right now the son didn't need them. So think about it like this, guys. Proverbs 31 is how to be a woman that's a, a virtuous woman of virtuous character. But you're a guy, so you don't really need to know how to be a virtuous woman, right? So if a sermon is preached on Proverbs 31, do you really need to listen to that kind of wisdom? In one sense, no, you don't need to know how to be a virtuous woman. But in another sense, do you think ever you might want to marry a virtuous woman? Maybe like not today, but in a couple years? Well, in a couple of years when you meet a woman and, oh, I kind of like it. 
If you don't know what a virtuous woman is, then it's kind of hard to read the Bible with clear eyes and not this like attraction and wonder what a virtuous woman is. The point Solomon's making is there are some things you need to study now that you don't need right now, but you need it later. Remember yesterday, too late for wisdom, Uh uh-oh. It's one of those moments. Think about like children. So my wife and I were in a Sunday school class out east at a church we were at, and it was like for basically like 25 to 45 age bracket, which is kind of a large bracket if you can't tell. And it was a wide variety of people, but almost all of them had kids and were married. We didn't have kids at the time. And the Sunday school teacher, the only application to life he ever made was kids. We're like, we don't have kids, we don't care. And so like, I don't think I paid much attention to those applications. Well, six years ago when I had my, well, my wife, my wife had our son, I didn't have our son, uh, when we had a kid, suddenly I have all these questions about parenting. I should have paid better attention to those sorts of things. Maybe you're reading Leviticus. Ooh, Leviticus, where every yearly Bible reading plan goes to die. (laughs) I mean, how many, this is twice, twice in my life, I'm like, I am going to read the Bible. Genesis, whoa, Exodus, this is crazy. Leviticus, huh? Okay. I'm going to go to Psalms. You know, it's, it's where it is because you get there, you're like, I don't know what this is. I'm not going to sacrifice a bull. And if I am, I'm probably getting arrested. That's weird. <clears throat> but the day you go to study Hebrews, you're not going to understand what the author of Hebrews is talking about. You're not going to understand all of the connections between Christ's sacrifice and why it's so much better if you don't understand all of the Levitical codes. Again, it's still a slog. (laughs) I'm not saying it's easy. But Solomon is saying, son, if it doesn't seem immediately practical what I'm saying, you need to listen and hold on to this stuff. In America, we're very pragmatic. And that can be a good thing. It makes us efficient. I'm not going to waste energy on something that doesn't matter. But that pragmatism tends toward a self-centeredness in some cases. And often, I think we see that in church. I sit down, the pastor preaches, I don't really know why I'm ever going to need this, or I don't immediately see why it will help me, and I just mentally check out. But what he's telling you is the counsel of God. And that's actually not a humble attitude you're having, that's a selfish attitude. And so if you really want to pursue God, you need to store up the wisdom, have a humble attitude, and then get everything you can and hold on to it. That's kind of hard. I'm going to admit, that's really hard. The book of the Bible that's a challenge for me is Revelation. I mean, I read that thing a bunch when I was little. One time I like highlighted the whole entire book with a highlighter. I was like eight. And you know when you highlight and the pages get all like curled because they're all soaking wet? The last like section of my Bible was just gross. But I didn't really understand it. And then I, man, it's a hard challenge. And I'm not in the end times. Who really cares? But that, that is not humbly saying, God put this in the Bible. I, I, I need to know this and I need to give attention to it. It's also hard when all of our entertainment model or all of our entertainment industry, television, movies, music, whatever it is, is custom built for you. I love YouTube. I can find anything I want on YouTube. There's a guy on YouTube who decided to make huts and everything with no tools, 
Uh, it's totally crazy. He's like making drills out of like fire starters with those like doing the sticks together. He makes clay from like all this stuff. He, he made a kiln to make, oh, this is amazing. No one else finds it. I find it interesting. Me and seven people, I think, you know, and maybe you're like underwater basket weaving. I love this. Snorkel tube. They're doing this underwater. This is so great. You know, you can have exactly what you want. That's okay. We all have interests. The problem is when that transfers over to our following after God. I don't really care about Revel. I don't really care about Leviticus. I don't really care about any of those prophets where the paper sticks together in my Bible because I never open that. I don't really care. Also, it takes a lot of effort. I just, let me read the Psalms. That's like right there. Or the New Testament. That's right, right there. So Solomon's exhortation to his son and the exhortation for us is we need to store this stuff up. Are you storing it up? Are you paying attention? Are you working at it? Okay. Next, you need to pay attention to wisdom. I'm trying to think of a way to capture these next two verbs. I'm going to say pay attention. Okay, I think that works. Uh, First of all, you need to have an attentive ear. So in verse 2, it says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Attentive to wisdom. That just means to give your attention to something. So if you're in church Sunday and you're kind of checked out, you're there, you're looking, your ears are hearing sound, but your internal part of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, whatever you call it, not the, it's just whatever label you're using and what passage you're in, is not really focused on that. It's not really there. You're sitting there, but mentally you're far, far away. And Solomon is saying, son, make your ear attentive. Make it like perk up when you hear me. So you're not supposed to use your kids' illustrations, so this is probably me too because they get this from me, so I'm going to use this one time. Maybe your children are like my children. Uh, in the same room, like, you know, 10 feet away, I can say, hey, kids, it's time for dinner. You know, doing whatever they do. Hey, it's time for dinner. Like, how many times do you say that? And they're right there, and no, no awareness that you're even talking to them, right? But other days, I can be in our kitchen, which in our house is in, we're split level, so it's up top floor over on this side all the way to the wall, okay? This is our kitchen. And then the basement is all the way on the other side of the house, downstairs, but it is a split level, so you have that open stairway downstairs. There's no doors. But still, I can usually be quiet enough to open a bag of Oreos. Carefully, you peel that little thing back, and no one hears it. But one wrong... It's like, you know, before this, it's like MMA downstairs and screams, and I don't know what's going on, and then all of a sudden, it's quiet. (laughs) Hey, Dad, I'm kind of hungry. Do you have any Oreos? (laughs) My daughter, I want an Oreo. (laughs) Why is that possible? It's the same thing with... I'm not saying my, my children are like, but if you have a pet, like a dog, dogs can hear food. Dogs can smell food. They can be like two blocks away, and you open the cupboard. <laughs> Why is that possible? Because there's a tuning that's gone on in their ear. They know this is hurt. It's the same thing where if you have a friend, and you're in a crowd, and everyone's talking, and you, you hear their voice, and how did you hear it? Because you're attuned to their voice. It was really funny. I was in the Atlanta airport which is, it's so busy. It's like the busiest airport. I didn't know this. 
And uh, I was getting a connecting flight from Louisville back to Iowa, and I'm walking through, it's the mo more people go through the Atlanta airport, I guess, than any other airport. And I'm walking through, and I hear someone say the word, hey, Andy. And okay, there's like how many people at the airport? I don't even think about it. But something in my brain was like, that kind of, did that sound like some, is that, is that familiar? And uh, Andy, hey, Stearns. And now I'm, okay, hold on, I turn around. I'm not kidding. A guy who I haven't seen in 20 years, who's a pilot, happens to be walking through to his flight. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I work here. And I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm getting a flight. What are the chances? He's, he lives in like Illinois. I live up in Iowa. We don't ever see each other randomly here. Now, how did, I, how did he saw me? But I could hear in my brain's like, hey, that, that sounds like an, a voice I've heard before. You have a tuning to it. Are your ears tuned to truth? I, when someone starts explaining what this word means, do your ears kind of lock on and listen? If not, that's a discipline. That's something you learn to do. And so don't be defeated. Don't be disheartened. It, it may be new to you. You may not be doing this very often, but you've got to tune your ear. You've got to get used to it. My illustration for this is coffee. I'm known for liking coffee a lot. I'm known for being a snoot, a snob. A, a I have to have better coffee than normal. And the one coffee that I absolutely hate is Folgers. Folgers. A guy is a joke. Hey, who gave me the amen? Who said the amen? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Teed. Oh, man. You and me against Folgers. We'll take them on, and I'm fine with that. A fellow uh, at the Bible college was preaching, and he got up, and he said, I got a gift for Andy Stearns, and he puts up a jar of Folgers. So I walk up and I take it, knock it down, and then I kicked it. It was great. I hate Folgers. Do you know why I hate Folgers? Because I never liked coffee. I hated coffee my whole life. I joked about it being warmed up dirty river water because I heard someone else say that and it sounded funny. And so I drink Mountain Dew with reckless abandon. No one ever had to teach me to like Mountain Dew. I mean, I was like eight. I don't know. Well, I was young. First sip, <laughs> sugar and fizz and caffeine. I love it. You know, I'm drinking, I'm smashing a moment. No, I'm just kidding. I love Mountain Dew. You didn't have to teach me to love Mountain Dew, but I had coffee, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with my mouth right now? Why did it do that to my tongue? I hate this. But everyone drinks it, so I, I would try from time to time to like it, and it was horrible. Granted, I usually drank it from like a break room where there's that pot that's on the hot plate that just cooks the coffee forever at my work, which was an auto shop where customers would wait in the waiting area, and it was cheap coffee. I mean, that was my only experience. Well, I eventually started to learn the bad effects of Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper. And it was, they, they generally landed about right here on my body. Right there, you know, this, this started to swell. I think it was just inflammation. You know? It's just it never went away for like years, okay? And so I'm like, oh, I better learn to drink Diet Pop. And Diet Pop is horrendous, okay? But six months of drinking it instead of regular, and I started to like it. And then I really liked it, and then I loved it. At a certain point in my life, I was drinking like 64 to or higher ounces of Diet Pop every day just to get through the day because I had a lot to do. And I, a thing changed in my life and I just quit drinking it for a couple of weeks. I don't know how I didn't get massive headaches, by the way. And I started waking up in the morning feeling great. And I noticed that like all the chemicals in the pop I think were messing with my head. Oh, I gotta get rid of this, so I need an option for caffeine. Oh, I gotta drink coffee. So I made it my goal to try to find out how to drink it and it me good. And I 
learned about coffee, and I found out good coffees, and I found you can spend way too much money on coffee, but there's like this sweet spot, and it's Dunkin' Donuts, and a whole bean, and from the store, not from Walmart, where it sat there for two years, and if you get a grinder and you do it just right, it tastes actually really good, okay? And any, anyone who's, yeah, anyways. Now I love coffee, and I almost could stand the bad stuff, not Folgers. But I had to cultivate an affection for coffee. I never had it naturally. I like the smell okay. But Mountain Dew, man, I loved it. So this is my illustration. No one ever had to teach me to love to sin. I've always loved to sin. Mountain Dew. But I had to learn to love the Lord, and the Spirit had to help me grow, and I had to read His Word, and I had to submit my soul. That's coffee. You have to do something to make this happen. You have to discipline yourself. You have to practice it. You have to learn. And when Solomon says, make your ear attentive, the idea is that your ear might not be attentive. And it's not tuned to that pitch or that sound, and you need to tune it that way. So my question today for us is, is your ear tuned to truth? Can you hear it? Do you long to hear it? Are you thirsting for it? Secondly, you need to incline your heart. You need to incline your heart. It's literally like stretch your heart towards something. That's kind of the idea here. But maybe you think of it like this. An interest. Think of an interest or a hobby like I enjoy certain things that are probably nerdy and weird and you enjoy certain things that are probably really dumb. Honest. No. Uh, but we have different enjoyment. We have different likes, okay? I really think fountain pens are fascinating. They're so interesting. Like the way they work and all the colors of ink you can get and they get your hands all inky and I, tore, I destroyed a pair of shorts with them and I got them on my wife's jeans but they were blue so you couldn't see it which is okay. My wife thinks they're just nerdy. That's okay. That's okay. She likes things, I like things. You probably like things. She really enjoys many things that I... She used to like to run a lot, and that just sounds terrible to me, okay? But she enjoys that. Like, you enjoy different things. Your, your own persona, your own interest manifests differently. Here, though, there's not really room in following God in not having an interest in what he says, I want to be fascinated. Like, I like the Iowa Hawkeyes. I know they're not always the best. My wife likes the Michigan Wolverines. You know, we have a, a rough marriage during football season. But we both don't like that team out in Ohio. And I know some of you here like that team out in Ohio. But you guys have a really good marching band, by the way. Well, that's okay. We all have different things. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to walking with the Lord, we should all incline our hearts to this book because it's what your Lord and Savior has told you. Do you love the Word of God? If you don't, man, don't throw your hands up and say, oh, I'm just going to quit. Now you know where to work. Now you know what needs to change. Now you know why you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and it hasn't worked. Man, your heart's not in it. It's not interesting. You don't want it. Well, why not? Man, meet with an older, wiser Christian. Meet with your pastor. And, and start talking. Have a long-term conversation. I really, 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 really love the REST acronym Pastor Wood brought up the other day. Read it, examine it, scribble about it, and talk about it. Some of the best times I've had with my closest friends were studying the Word of God together. And sometimes you need that as a jump start in your walk with God. And sometimes you just need it regularly to help your walk with God. So 
Pay attention to God's word. You need to pay attention to it. Are you paying attention to it? Remember, paying attention doesn't just mean you're here and you hear the audible words. Are you tuned and listening for the truth? Does your heart desire to know what God thinks about things? You need that. You can have that kind of attention. Next, you need to hunger for it. You need to hunger for it. Verse 3 says, if you call out for it, so call, call out, yell for help. The word is just yell, kara. You're just, you're yelling, that's it. Think through like the times you've called out or yelled out for something. Generally, that's like you're in a, in a tense situation and you need help. Uh, have you ever been working on something and something goes wrong and you hold it to make it not fall over and you're like, ah, uh, get over here, quick, 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 and you're not even making complete sentences, right? There's that tension. Um, at, <laughs> I should be careful. This was a really good auto shop I worked at. Very honest people, really good. But some weird things happened every now and then. And uh, <laughs> one day, back in the maintenance phase where they're like cars up on lifts, I hear this one guy going, and they're just like, a bunch of guys are yelling and they're screaming, like, what's going on? And I see this one guy with a broom up at the car like this. I've never seen him use a broom to change a tire or anything. And uh, next thing you know, some weird black furry thing shoots out on the ground and just takes off running out the back end of the shop. And there are these guys chasing it with the broom. And what it was is it was something like a badger or something that was stuck up in the engine and they didn't know it. And he goes to reach up and there's these eyes looking at him. And he's like, hey, hey, get over here. Give me the broom. Give me the broom. Give me the broom. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> so another time uh, something got lit on fire. <laughs> It happens. If you've worked in a shop, you know this stuff happens. Don't, you can take your cars, please. It's okay. And uh, so they're like, get the guy, I need the water. I need the extinguisher. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. One time, I'll stop. I'll stop. You're going to think nothing ever. Well, okay, there was a rack, and the guy had the car in neutral, and he thought he had it in park, and it rolled off the front end and smashed into a uh, giant computer that aligned the tires. Oh, okay, now, all of those times, you've had times yourself where something goes wrong, and you yell for help, Right? And so that's the idea here with that same sort of urgency, call out. Now, calling out implies you're calling to someone, right? If I need help, I'm just starting to yell, help, help, help. I don't know who I'm calling, but I'm calling someone for help, right? Here, you should be calling to God for help, but you also should call out and ask other Christians for help. This is not something you're doing solo. If you're calling out for it, the idea is someone else needs to help you with it. So again, you can't really do this on your own. The next verb here is to cry out. Or mine says raise your voice. And so here I think of it like a hungry baby. Man, if the baby starts crying for food and you don't give the baby food... Eventually, the baby will just stop crying in like a minute, right? Because it'll know it's time to wait. It's not yet time for lunch, right? That's usually what my kids never, ever, ever did, right? And maybe yours were like that too. Yeah, the baby will cry until it gets the thing it wants. Are you like that? Do you hunger for God's word so much that you're not going to give up in your pursuit of God through his word? A lot of times, man, we give up really quick. My brother used to have this joke he would do. Uh, we'd be like, hey, where's that thing? And he, he'd say, oh, yeah, the thing, hold on. I don't know, I've looked everywhere. And it was just a joke, like he didn't even try, okay? But sometimes we look, that's how we look, and it's really funny because I'm not really good at finding things. 
it will be like literally right in front of me. And I'll look around and it's right, I heard a chuckle, I heard a chuckle over here near maybe someone I know. And uh, literally, it's right there. I don't know how I don't see it. And I look, and I look for like two minutes, I'm like, yeah, I've looked everywhere, I can't find it. And someone, I don't know who, remain nameless, what's that? (gasps) Oh, there it is. How do I miss it right in front of me? But I also stop in like two minutes. And there may be someone I know who's related to me and much younger who takes after dad. And, and is, but is that you? Is that you when it comes to God's word and your relationship with him? Is that you when it comes to wisdom? Do you start and quit? When's the last time you missed a meal and you're like, oh man, I, I missed lunch. Eh. Maybe I just won't eat. And then it's dinner, man, I'm really hungry. Oh, I missed dinner, eh, it's okay. I mean, look at me, you can tell that's not what I do. <laughs> Most of us know if it's something we need, we persist until we get it. When Solomon talks to his son about fearing the Lord, son, if you want to learn the fear of the Lord, raise your voice, call out for it. Don't give up, keep going, keep chasing it. The question we need to ask ourselves right now is, have we stopped chasing after knowing the Lord? Sometimes that's a choice. Sometimes we've tried, it. oh, that didn't work, I give up. Sometimes that's just we're so busy with other things. Eh, it's not as important to me. If I'm not hungry, I'm not looking for something else to eat. I didn't actively give up on food. I just decided, nah, I don't think I care. What about God's word? What about the wisdom of God? What about knowing him? Have you, have you kind of stopped for a while because other things are more important to you? You need to hunger for it. Lastly, you need to search for it. You need to search for it. And this is where we started. The first verb here, these two go together with this first subpoint here. If you seek for it like silver and you search for it like hidden treasures. So, Silver in this day, it's funny actually, in Solomon's day, silver wasn't that valuable. If you read, he had so much gold and so much opulence in his kingdom. It says silver stuff was just kind of common. Everyone had silver teacups and it wasn't really that impressive. And yet, what does it say? If you, there's still the expectation that this really precious thing, even when, it's, when there's a lot of it, you're going to look for it. And then it says, and if you search for it like hidden treasure, hidden treasure is something that's super valuable, You've lost it, and if you get it, you get the, it's like getting the prize. Well, how do you look for that? You're persistent. You don't give up. You put a lot of energy into it. You're going every which way to get the thing. question we need to ask ourselves right now is the manner of our following after God, the manner of our searching. What does it look like? Does it look like I'm searching for hidden treasure, or does it look like I'm looking for a quarter I dropped the other day, and I can't remember, or, or that thing that I had three copies of, and I'm looking for the third copy, but I got these other two. How do you search for God? Do you search for him like a treasure? What does your search look like? What does your search look like? In verse 5, Solomon helps his son to see, this is what you will get if you receive his commands. And so for us today, if we would receive God's wisdom from his word, not the wisdom of the world, not the knowledge out here and there, but if you would receive God's wisdom, do you have a humble attitude? Are you willing to submit 
everything in the world to this word. If you're willing to uh, hunger for it, to pay attention to it, to cry out for it and search for it, if you're willing to do all of these things, then what will you be rewarded with in verse 5? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And you'll find what? The knowledge of God. The no- you'll know the Lord. You'll know Him. For me, it looked like this. I would often go to my Bible when I felt kind of depressed and down, and I would start reading whatever I could find. I'd just flip through and read this or that, and it generally was kind of hit or miss. So here's a story. Uh, one time I was in a youth group where the youth pastor was like, hey, pick one verse and read it over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, so I picked Ephesians 5.1. I have it memorized, but I'll flip over to it. You might even have it memorized. Ephesians 5.1 is right in the middle of a passage directly written to church Christians. And in that, it's, Paul's giving them instructions. You're, you're, you're saved now. You're no longer who you used to be. You're not a Gentile. You're not a sinner. Well, you are a sinner, but you're not only trapped in sin. You're not a part of the Lord's family. And so in Ephesians 5.1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Who's Solomon addressing? His son, his child. Does he love his son? Absolutely. We should imitate God because we're his son and God loves us. Now, I remember meditating on this, thinking about this for like 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, I need to imitate God. And you know what questions came to my mind without even knowing that I should ask them? What am I imitating right now? Who am I imitating? Who am I trying to make my life look like? Man, I looked at each word and thought about each word. And I I got lucky on the context. Well, my buddy went to Obadiah. There's only one chapter, so it was Obadiah verse 7. And uh, it says something along the lines of, uh, your friends are going to set a trap for you, and those who who eat your bread will uh, come after you when you're not, like, paying attention. And, And he didn't understand the context, but he looked at those, man... He came back to the group to share and he literally thought God was telling him his friends are out to get him and there's this plan that he doesn't know about from his friends. Now, I remember thinking, whoa, how did God do that? That's confusing. Eh, who cares? <laughs> his friends are going to get him. I don't know. That's a little weird, but I didn't put any energy into trying to understand what God was saying there. And so later I learned the context is Edom, kind of a distant relative of Israel, and when Israel gets taken into captivity, Edom is cheering. They're like, yeah, you, we hate you, Israelites. Ha ha, enjoy Syria or Babylon. I can't remember which one it is. And the judgment from Obadiah the prophet to them from the Lord is that you should have been mourning when your distant relatives went into captivity. But because you haven't, all these people who are your allies, and the version I was using to translate it said friends. It's an ally they're going to come and get you, and that's going to be their judgment. So, man, I didn't know what that meant for a long time, and I didn't know why that's what it meant, but I gave no effort to understanding it. But getting into this word and looking at the words, studying it, learning good Bible study practices, that was going to open up the context for you to understand God. I remember one time I would come here trying to get this emotional bump, two hours, didn't really feel any different. Another time, I'm studying to teach it in Sunday school, in Romans chapter 5, 
and I just don't know, it says the love of God will be poured into your hearts. Is that like my ability to love God is put there by God? Like it got, my love for God got poured there, I didn't have it, he had to pour it in there for me? Or is it God loving me and my awareness of God loving me gets put in my heart for me so I know it, like he pours his own love in so I know I'm loved by him? Because you, know, you could go either way with the word of there. Like which one does it mean? It took me like an hour and a half. I had to read like two commentaries. But I figured out, I, I really think what it means is my love for God, I couldn't do that. God had to actually place my, my love for him in me, for me, because I couldn't have done it. It took a long time. It was deep thinking. I had to not look at my phone and play on Facebook. But at the end of that deep thinking about God's word, about the truths in his word, about the wisdom that's in this book, something dawned on me. I know I'm saved. At least I'm pretty sure because I do love God and I couldn't have done that on my own. And my assurance of salvation questions pretty much evaporated at that point. Now, before, if I don't know if I'm saved or not, I'm looking for something to make me feel a certain way. Over here, I'm just trying to understand the text. I just want to know what this thing says so I can teach it and answer questions for people in Sunday school. And suddenly, I'm having this holy moment before the Lord where I understand I am loved and I know him and he loves me unconditionally. How did I get that? by seeking the meaning of the words, by looking in there, by studying the kind of, like, I had to put a lot of effort into that. And I never would have thought that's the way to enhance my walk with God. I would have thought doing that would have made me a Pharisee or something, right? I mean, you think too much about the Bible and you probably just become a legalist. But what's Solomon saying here? Search for wisdom like you're searching for something really expensive. Like the credit card you dropped and you don't know what store it's at. And if you don't find it, someone's going to buy a Hummer and you're going to pay for it. Okay? Search for it like the wedding ring that you don't know where it is and you really want to find that because it reminds you of your, the day that's so precious to you. Search for wisdom in this book like that. Is that what your life looks like? This is good for me, like... Am I doing this? It's one thing to know how, but the next question is, am I actually doing it? It's fun to talk about doing it, but it's another thing to spend time resting with God, to spend 10 minutes a day with God, to read and study this book faithfully. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you, if you come today and you realize, man, I'm not seeking after God, praise the Lord. Look at what he just showed you from his word. Now you know what to do. For years, I didn't know what to do. I just, what do I do? I'm feeling like I'm spinning my tires. No matter what I do, nothing changes. Now I knew. If that's you today, praise the Lord. Christ already died for all of our sins. He's already forgiven us. If we put our trust in him, we can be forgiven and we can move forward with a clear conscience, following after him, pursuing a relationship with him. And if we do that, He's promised to give you the fear of the Lord and his knowledge of him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us. Thank you for being so gentle. Lord, you love us unconditionally based on what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that everyone today would have that love and that knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that we would pursue you, Father. I pray that we would try to strive after if we don't know how to do that, I pray that we would reach out to a Christian who's walked the path for some time. 
a Christian who seems like they know you and they've been consistently in your word. I pray, Father, that this week, if that's what we learn, that we would take the rest principle, we would take the 10 minutes a day with God principle, and we would put those into practice. And Father, I know that if we do that, you've promised that we will begin to know you better and we will begin to fear you. Father, we love you. Pray that the rest of this day would be an encouragement to us. Pray that we would enjoy our time together at camp. In your son's name we pray, amen.